Well, good afternoon, everybody, and um, welcome to today's session, this afternoon's session, um, Big Sugar, and we're going to be discussing a very dangerous idea. Is sugar the new tobacco? Um, I'm Sarah Wilson, and I'm the author of I Quit Sugar and founder of IQuitSugar.com, and here to stoke the fire today, I have Damon Gamow, that guy from that sugar film, um, the guy who treating himself as a guinea pig over the course of, gosh, it was over a year, wasn't it, Damon, in the end? 60 days. 60 days. Yeah. I think it continued, though. You had to continue the experiment, where uh, he tested the notion of eating um, a whole heap of so-called healthy sugars um, to see what it did to his body. And I think most of you have probably seen this film because it's just been announced as the highest-grossing Australian documentary of all time. So I think a round of applause. But what actually qualifies Damon to be here today is the fact that for 15 years, and I just learnt this the other day, he drank a vanilla Coke and smoked a packet of fags every single day. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> okay, over here we've got Jane Martin, who's the Executive Manager of the Obesity Policy Coalition, and she has been working tirelessly for her entire career, lobbying to get change happening in the health sphere. Um, most recently, of course, trying to sort of tackle the obesity epidemic here in Australia. But prior to that, she worked for 25 years researching and, I guess, lobbying um, in the area of tobacco, tobacco industry funding and tobacco industry kind of influence here in Australia. But once again, what really marks her as qualified here today is she used to be a menthol cigarette smoker. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I don't really know what I'm doing here because I've never been a smoker myself. But um, before we kick off, I'll just remind people to turn their phones onto silent. Don't turn them off because you are encouraged to tweet using the hashtag FODI uh, or FODI. And we will leave time at the end for questions about 15 to 20 minutes, so make sure you save up your questions uh, for the end. Now, for many of you in the room, I'm imagining that the notion that um, sugar is not that great for us is not such a dangerous idea, but around about sort of six years ago in 2010, when I first started to research into this area and look into the politics and the science, um, it certainly was. And so over the last six years, I've kind of seen quite a number of changes. Um, I've watched as obesity... Um, you know, figures increase. I've watched as our sugar consumption goes up, despite the best attempts of various uh, science experts trying to tell us it's going the other way. Um, I started to question why it was that if we were eating 20 to 40 teaspoons of added sugar every day, why, why, why was this being allowed when there was a lot of science rolling in suggesting that it was six to nine teaspoons a day, which was sort of the safe limit? Um, I certainly uh, was exposed also to a number of different tactics um, from the sugar industry over the last six years. Um, I was very much their target. And I was watching some of the science kind of come, you know, roll in, and I'm sure both, both Jane and Damon have been watching it as well, and seeing it being shut down or ignored or glossed over or um, sort of, you know, promoted with a hell of a lot of doubt attached. Um, so... More recently, I think what we've experienced, though, is a bit of a critical point where people are starting to accept that the idea that probably sugar has got some kind of link to the reason why we're, we're, you know, we've got this obesity epidemic. But I think today is a great time to actually be discussing this topic because um, I think in the last two years, the science has certain, certainly sped up. And just last year, the World Health Organization came out and issued guidelines saying, what do you know, that six to nine teaspoons of added sugar a day is the upper limit that we should be consuming. Um, we've got the UK certainly looking into um, providing guidelines to this effect as well. Last month, of course, we were just talking about this before, um, Coca-Cola got hauled over the coals um, for paying scientists to suggest the idea that sugar was not the problem, um, and we'll probably be covering this off in, in a moment. Um, We've also seen, um, I think just last night, um, Dr Lustig, the pin-up boy of the sugar movement, or the anti-sugar movement, um, coming out sort of saying that um, there's certain sort of research groups in Australia who are responsible for the obesity epidemic here in Australia. And um, I think, you know, some of you might have also caught the Jamie Oliver's Sugar Rush film just screened in the UK. And I think tomorrow night, The Sugar Conspiracy is being filmed on the SBS. So great time to be discussing all of this. So what I want to do is throw 
throw a fairly hefty log on the fire and <laughs> kick off. And Jane, I might ask you this. Um, is the sugar crisis really as bad as the tobacco crisis of last century? Look, I think we've got a really serious public health issue. Um, we know that overweight and obesity, 63% of adults, 25% of our kids, which is really concerning, are overweight or obese. And we know why this is. Their diets, our diets, are really poor. And a lot of what adults are eating, around 35%, and more than 40% of what children are eating, are not part of a healthy diet. And a lot of these products are ultra-processed foods, they're cheap, they're heavily promoted, they're available everywhere, and that's what people are eating. And we can't be surprised about that, but really, what do we need to do about it? And we know from tobacco control that telling people smoking is bad is one way to do it, but it's not a very successful way on its own. What you need to do is increase the price of these foods that are contributing to the epidemic. A lot of them are high sugar foods, and particularly targeting things like sugary drinks, which we know contribute to overweight and obesity. They're a risk factor for diabetes. These are the kinds of foods that need to be targeted, that need to be um, have restrictions on their marketing, have restrictions on their availability, and put the price up, particularly taxing sugary drinks. So, Jane, can I ask straight out, is the sugar crisis as bad as the tobacco crisis? Because you've seen the two. Look, I think we've really let it run away from us. I think we've got this huge epidemic of chronic disease, people living with diabetes. This, this will clog up our medical system. The costs, the, this will hit home and governments will act. It's just a matter of time. And of course, mm. they're fighting against a very, very powerful industry, um, including so the sugar industry. I might cut to you, Damon, um, because of course, the difference between sugar and tobacco, to a certain extent, this is only one issue, is that sugar affects children as well. I mean, in the main, children don't smoke. I've um, seen a YouTube video of an Indonesian boy at two smoking. Of course, we have all it's seen real. that one. All it right. is real. All right, um, now, answer me. Sugar, sugar crisis as bad as the tobacco crisis, well, in I your think, opinion? You know, the, the point we're talking about is that if we were all just having a couple of teaspoons of sugar in our cup of tea, it'd be fine. But the fact that sugar is now found in nearly 80% of the food supply, it's now being linked to diseases like fatty liver disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, hypertension, mm. these kind of symptoms. I mean, fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, didn't exist. 35 years ago. It's now affecting 1 billion people worldwide. And in that time, sugar consumption has grown 46%. Type 2 diabetes is killing someone worldwide every, two, mm. every six seconds. Mm. We spend $6 billion in Australia a year on it. You know, and this is a preventable disease from diet. And sugar is not solely to blame, there's no doubt about that, but it is a major player, if not the major player. Yep. So this is a tale of excess. You know, yeah. We're just having far too much. We need the education, but we also need people, government, to step in and help us to educate and make some tough decisions. Okay. We have diet and overweight and obesity, the leading causes of preventable death and disease. Tobacco is number three. That should be telling our government <laughs> right. something. I almost think that's the answer, isn't it? It is uh, at least on par, if not worse, than tobacco, at least today. Okay, so having established that, let's backtrack a little bit to the 1950s and 60s when people started to wonder if tobacco and smoking cigarettes was such a great idea. And we had scientists and consumers starting to ask a few questions. And of course, industry, big tobacco, came and fought back to a certain extent. Jane, you obviously are abreast of all of this. What are some of the tactics that they used back then? Yeah, so the tobacco industry pulled their resources together and set up something called the Tobacco Institute of Australia. And that was really a huge lobbying. Um, I think um, I was reading in the 1990s, it had $7 million worth of funding. And what that was engaged, what they worked together to do was to create doubt around the medical evidence uh, that was um, coming out and was very strong by that time, in fact, around the relationship between smoking and disease. So doubt was a really big tactic that was used they undermined the credibility of information that was being put out by groups like the Cancer Council and the Heart Foundation and governments um, in order to, again, fuel that doubt. They nurtured their own industry-funded scientists and consultants and paid people, and a lot of now it's coming out, um, that people who were nested in universities who came from overseas were sometimes paid by the tobacco industry to find out what was happening in other countries like in, um, in Australia. And they coordinated attacks on individuals and organisations 
organisations um, to try and put them off putting their head above the parapet and saying the truth and the mm. facts about tobacco. So there was, um, that's just what the industry did. They set up something called the Smoking and Health Research Foundation to fund scientists to do work around tobacco. Now that wasn't to find out and, and, and publicise the health effects, that again was to create um, misinformation and doubt. And again, we, one of the other tactics that we see industry use is to focus on personal responsibility. You, you know, it's up to you, you can make mm. a choice. I mean, it was even worse with tobacco because it's highly addictive. And so is this notion of the merchants of doubt, that was sort of one of the big Absolutely. tactics back yeah. then, wasn't it? Yeah. And Damon, um, this is something that you pick up in your film. I mean, you actually do touch on the tobacco kind of tactics. And I know that you referred to some fairly comical ways that they went about things. Mm. Um, what, were, what were some of your favourites? Uh, well, I guess um, probably the obvious one which we've got in the film is that they would target children. So they had the Flintstones kind of endorsing cigarettes, having a break and having a Winston. Um, <laughs> there was Joe Camel, who was like the cartoon character that was aimed yeah. directly at kids. Um, and I guess even, I, th I think probably one of the biggest things they did, which Jane's alluded to, was in the 1950s, they, uh, all the tobacco companies got together and they released a statement in the newspaper, 500 newspapers on the front page right across America that said a frank statement to cigarette smokers. And it kind of said, look, we, can, we, we, we hear your concerns, we've mm -hmm. all got together, we've consulted with scientists, and we can guarantee you that we care about your health and that there is no scientific evidence to suggest smoking causes lung yeah. cancer or that it's addictive. And this, they hired a PR firm, they sent out a script to companies all around America, and from my experience, even learning the film, this is exactly what the sugar industry did in the late 70s. They got, this word was out, there was a lot of uh, congressional discussion mm. around the new guidelines, and that sugar was seen as something that could be very, very deleterious to our health. So they paid scientists, assembled a PR firm, Carol Byron Associates, who actually uh, they won, ended up winning the Silver Anvil, which is like um, an Oscar in yeah. the PR world for forging excellence in public opinion. <laughs> so they completely put out into the public mm. that, that, in fact, the press relief w was that scientists dispel sugar fears. Yeah. You know? and, and I mean, as we, I think we're all seen this happening, you know, even mm. just last month, like I said, with Coca-Cola. But mm. we'll get, to, we'll get mm. to that in a moment because we're, we're moving on there. I want to just get some more context, first of all, as well, is ask, for a lot of people, um, and I get asked this question all the time. When we're talking about big sugar, who are we really talking about? Um, who is big sugar? Jane, do you want to just chime in there? Well, the, you know, these things operate on a d number of different levels. So you have the sugar growers, um, which, who are based in Queensland. Um, then you have the companies that use this sugar. So companies like Coca-Cola, um, they take a lot of that sugar. A lot of it's exported, of course. And then you have the uh, highly processed food, ultra-processed food manufacturers like Nestle, um, those kinds of companies. Because as Damon film, Damon's film shows, a lot of what we eat is full of added sugar. So it's a really important um, part of the food processing. Um, it's relatively cheap um, and it's a very big part of our diet. And just to give context of how big an organisation they are, I mean, firstly, the, the sugar industry are the largest, um, I guess, donators to congressional campaigns in America from any mm. industry. But also there's a great story about um, Monica Lewinsky had to testify exactly what happened in her whole experience and liaisons with Mr Clinton. And in there were, they were actually, he was doing the breakup with her in the Oval Office. It was like yeah. this hour-long chat of, like, it's just not going to work out between us, Hillary, etc. <laughs> We've all been there. And, yeah. um, not and with Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? No, mm, I, I personally, no. Um, and this is all kind of sworn statements she had to mm. testify. She said they only had one interruption, and it was when uh, Bill's phone rang. And it was the head of the Florida Growers Association, Alfonso Fanjul, who's one of the big sugar barons. And, and he actually interrupted the breakup to take the call because two days before, Al Gore had um, sort of mentioned that they might float the idea of a sugar tax. And Alfonso had rung Clinton directly and said, this isn't going to happen, is it? He said, no. So this is the power they yeah. have. They have direct access. Cortis interrupt us. What power. a beautiful segue of, of, uh, of pop, pop cultural <laughs> mishmashing. It's oh, it wonderful. Is, it? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think there's big sugar and there's the companies, and we're all sort of aware of who they are. Um, but um, are they working in cahoots? Are they sort of are they disguising themselves under sort of you know bogus kind of <laughs> advisory groups and industry bodies and that kind of thing? Is that what we're also seeing? Absolutely, and this is what tobacco did as well. It was as you alluded to before, we've got the Global Energy Balance Network, which mm. Coca-Cola's funded and been caught out for doing it yep. um, two weeks ago. And what they did is kind of get these scientists to come together and say, you know what, we're all focusing too much on food. You know, we're, we're worrying about what we eat too mm. much, a sugary drink here and there. 
let's focus on exercise. Let's get oh, and back to counting. And perhaps it's your fault for not doing enough exercise. That's right. And that's yeah. kind of, and they are paid for by Coke to put that message out there. And again, this comes back to this idea of creating ambiguity in the public space, creating this merchants of doubt, so that you come to events like this and you hear this, and then you say it to a friend at home, and they go, "Oh no, that's not true," because I heard it's all about exercise. And what? This is what they are actively doing, so mm. that there's no conclusive decision made. And there was a really nice tactic that they used, and they've been using this. I think there was the Jeremy Paxton interview with the the head of mm, Coke, Coke a little yep. while back, where he was sort of going, "Mia culpa." Yes, we know mm. that too much, mm. um, you know, soda or pop or whatever can mm. cause some problems. We know this. Mm. But if you exercise it all off, you should be right. Yeah, right. Um, it's this kind of moderate, uh, we're all in it together. Well, there's Let's... a playbook. There's a playbook. It's mm. actually a real thing. And it's the tobacco industry had it and the food industry have got it. And there are certain, uh, there's like a list, checklist that you do and one of them is pretending to care and sort of show, hey, we're really caring mm. about our consumers. We're going to change our structure to benefit you. You know, yeah. it's all... And uh, Coca-Cola has another globe network called Exercises Medicine. So mm. where, when you go to your health professional, they will advise you to exercise. And, and that's giving advice and support to health professionals, doctors, physiotherapists, to encourage them to advise their patients mm. to do more physical activity. Mm. So again, obfuscating, focusing on the, on the exercise side of thing and, and ignoring the other side. Apart from the yeah. fact that it's bogus science as well, calories in equals calories out just doesn't and stack up, but you know, they're playing on this notion that it's, it kind of would seem to make sense, at yeah. least to the everyday person. Because well, then it's it our fault you. that if you get fat or sick, then you didn't count your calories properly. It's nothing yeah. to do with mm. us. We're just providing a food, mm. you got it wrong. So that's uh -huh. a great defence to them. It was interesting, the other day, um, my team at Ike Hooker were looking into sort of, you know, the science behind how much water you're meant to be drinking each day, and they pulled out this um, study by, I think it was the European Hydration Council, um, that said that um, soft drink and caffeine could contribute to your daily um, water intake. And I kind of went, um, the... European Hydration Council, and um, I said, um, who's that funded by? And we had a very quick look. It took a few pages through their mm. website to find it, but of course it was funded by, what do you know, one of the big sugar giants. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just a tireless thing, isn't it, having to yes. dig yep. that layer after layer to get to who's behind And when all these stuff. funded researchers come out to places like Australia, they're taken around to meet oh, um, yeah. politicians, they're taken around to meet bureaucrats mm. in the health departments. They are, and they may not know who who's funded them and whose interests they represent, that transparency may be missing. And I think that makes it very difficult mm. to make decisions when you're not sure of the conflicts of interest. I want to drill down, and I think, we're, I think yeah. your point's probably going to allude to this. I want to drill down now into how some of those big tobacco tactics are now being used by Big Sugar. And we might kick off with this notion of research because we've touched on it a bit. Mm. Damon, mm -hmm. what has been your experience and examples of this kind of thing? You've, you've, In terms of research? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, there are there is no doubt this is what tobacco did as well. They pay for, for studies. They fund scientists that give results that they want to see. So, mm. in fact, um, there was a, a study done two years ago in the European Medical Journal that showed that if a study was done by Pepsi, Coke or the Sugar Association, it was five times more likely to show no link between mm. soft drink and disease as opposed to an independent study. So this is 85% kind of, of the studies that were funded by one mm. of the big food giants um, found out that, you know, sugar was innocuous. That's right. Mm. And look, the other thing they can do, uh, which I was, we, we actually had an experience of it in the film, is that it's very easy to manipulate a particular study to get an outcome that you want. And yeah. sugar's a really classic example, the way it metabolises in the liver. If you give someone some sugar first thing in the morning, once they've not eaten anything overnight, it just replaces the spare batteries in your body so it won't turn to fat. But if you give that same person the same amount of sugar after lunch, it turns to fat yeah. because your, your batteries are already full. So general public don't understand that, but it's just the ways that these studies can be manipulated, then the media picks up on it and bang, suddenly it's so out there. So you're saying that yeah. certain scientists will do studies at certain times of day because they Absolutely. know that that's how the body works. Well, we, we met one in the film. People have seen the film. You know, he's paid by Coca-Cola to fly around the world and endorse their message. And he absolutely believes that there's no link between soft drinks and metabolic symptoms. Mm. Yet any other study that's done independently says that categorically there's a problem, you mm. know. Um, and this is the lack of integrity. I mean, this is a bigger question, I guess, that we need governments to step in and actually regulate. 
create this because yeah. they are affecting lives. And, and that statement that we we're talking about with tobacco in the 1950s, where they put out that in the, in the media, uh, Kelly Brownell and his team at Yale have estimated that cost 16 million American lives because of that lack of integrity. So what's happening now with the Sugar Association? Yeah. These messages that are going out are actually costing people lives. They're killing them. So we need accountability there, yep. you know, like especially when it comes to children. It's and of course ridiculous. the problem with nutritional science, and I often say this, is that it is quite an inexact science. I think Dr Lustig mm. talks about this quite a bit, that something like 80% of nutritional science, or 80 to 90%, he says, is actually not gold standard science. And that's just because mm. you can't actually go and lock a bunch of kids in a room and force feed them M&Ms to see what happens, mm. you know. You, you make a you film do, about it, that's what you that's do. That's right, <laughs> and you get a guinea pig. You get an idiot to, to eat it. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but, um, and that's primarily, I think, why you did the film. I remember we talked mm. about it when you were first talking about mm. doing the film, because nutritional science is in exact science and of course these big companies can take advantage of that very fact. Um, what's been your experience Jane um, with this notion of you've seen what tobacco did with yeah. research and how they became merchants of doubt. What are they doing and what are some examples you've seen in the research realm with, with sugar? Well I think uh, you know we haven't really talked about dental health but um, we've got these documents which have been um, made available through um, litigation in America. And what, interestingly, um, one of the uh, tobacco control researchers looked at how did industry influence the dental health agenda in the 60s and 70s. And what they did was they shifted the focus away from sugar onto other elements of dental health that weren't nearly as critical mm. to try and change and influence um, what was going to happen. Um, when the World Health Organization a number of years ago before this current report, we're looking at sugar. You know, there was huge um, influence being used um, mm. through the US to stop funding the World Health Organization. Yes. Now, that pressure was put on by the food industry, food and beverage industry. That's where it was coming from because they were concerned around what, was, what, what they were going to say around sugar. So there's, there's huge concerns. But I don't think there's any doubt that sugary drinks contribute to overweight and obesity. They're, you know, very, very high risk. Um, for a lot of people, and they contribute to tooth decay. And I think the, those areas where it is black and white, um, industry are not clear mm. about that. And they use words like when they're promoting products. Um, Nestle were doing something in, a, in, a, um, a, in the school holidays, um, in um, shop, big shopping centres, bring your kids and we'll talk to you about Milo and how good it is for you. I mean, really, you don't need to add sugar to, to milk, you know, it's, it's great for kids to drink milk, but you don't need to put sugar in it. But, you know, it's really about engaging with families, engaging with mothers, and not telling the full story, yeah. and dressing sugar up as energy. That's, if you see anything yeah. with energy, I mean, I was feeding my son new sugar, and I didn't realise it was more than 30% sugar. I, I was really shocked. It's Iron Man food. It's yeah. like giving yeah. him Cocoa Pops. No wonder he liked it so much. Anyway, I mean, now he has to buy it with his pocket money. It's still bad, but he, <laughs> he, he loves it. It's but it's creating that confusion and creating relationships with the, you know, the who, who, who is in control of the food supply in the home. Often it's the mother and, and putting this stuff, it, right. pestering mm. the children, you know, sponsoring kids' sport with Milo, with yeah, Gatorade. You know, it's, it's about getting into your children's lives and then the pester power and the decision-making is influenced yeah. by this. Um, Damon, I'm, I might just ask, I think, you know, you've looked a lot into this, some of the other tactics. So we've mm. research, obviously, um, creating doubt and, and actually, you know, uh, influencing where research dollars go. Um, what other tactics are they using that kind of almost replicate what the tobacco industry was doing? Well, I mean, they'll, they'll sort of shout anyone down that speaks out against them and kind of accuse them as being food faddists. And I'm not sure you've experienced that yeah. in your life. But also... Apparently, um, apparently I um, am very dangerous because I suggest to people they don't eat fruit. And I don't think I've ever said that, but apparently <laughs> that is something that gets out there and... If you do a bit of Eat digging, fruit. you find out who's behind those right. inferences. But yes, creating well, doubt one. and um, uncertainty. And also things like um, they will pay for editorials, like in sort of magazines or newspapers, and it will uh, look like an article like, you know, 10 myths about sugar. And, it's mm. like, uh, and people don't realise it's actually paid for by the Sugar Association. It's dressed up as a legitimate article that looks like real science, but it's funded by the association. Um, I guess that's the main ones I looked at. And also, obviously, we've talked about the science, but... I guess Schools. it's just... I think there was an example in your film with uh, 
up and go? Was that something as oh, well? Oh, look, and that sort of goes back to this, what Jane was talking about, about brand loyalty. I mean, they, they all understand that if they can get the child young, this is what Coke were masters at, if you associate uh, an emotional experience as a child with the, with the product, like yeah. in America it's going to the ball game with your dad mm. and having a Coke, that will ingrain and sort of be embedded in your psyche as you get older so that when you have your own disposable income, mm. you will buy that product. And it's no different here. I mean, my cousin's only 11. She's a cricketer in Perth. And Powerade paid her $1,000 a year. She has to only drink Powerade at her cricket games. Now, this is a drink with eight teaspoons of sugar in it that maybe if you've run a marathon, it might be okay for you. But if you're playing sedentary cricket at under 11s... Especially in the outfield. There's not a lot of sweat going on, I can tell you. Um, You don't need that drink. You know, no. But she loves it because she feels like Michael Clark or yeah, LeBron James. She tells all her friends, I'm a sponsored athlete. This is, what, this is the insidious mm. nature of what's mm. going on here. That, Smart. That's what we need yeah. to stop because they're getting in at that level and ingraining habits. It's really interesting. I think um, I often get asked that, you know, it, there's this notion that, oh, yes, it's all happening over in America, but it is happening here. And mm. just last week, you guys, we were talking about it um, just the other day, you know, the fruit juice is that the Fruit Juice Council or Fruit Juice Industry came out with their big new edict. Another mea culpa type thing. Yes, look, fruit juice can be a bit of a problem. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this, it really contains... Apple juice contains just as much sugar as Coca-Cola glass for glass. Um, And the World Health Organisation has agreed that it's added sugar. They classify it as added sugar to be avoided. Um, But the fruit juice industry has come out with this idea, mea culpa, look, it is a little bit of a problem, but what we advise is you drink 125 meals every now and then. I don't know anybody who drinks, I mean, that's, what, a mouthful or two? Um, it's, it is a an enti- it's a shot. It's a shot of orange juice. Um, it's an entirely ridiculous concept when their bottles come as 600 mils. Um, but we'll save it for later. That's yeah. right, because we all operate that way. Um, but of course, a bit of digging, you work out the fruit juice industry is largely owned by big sugar, the big companies, you know, mm. Coke, Nestle and so on. Mm. Um, but yes, Australian examples abound, don't they? Mm. And I, what I was going to ask as well is, from a political point of view, Jane, you raised the idea of these senators who have been influenced. You raised the notion of Bill Clinton being directly interfered with. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I guess, is it happening here in Australia. I know there's, I've got one anecdote, um, somebody who's very senior in the dietary world, involved in the DAA, who was telling me she was involved in a committee looking at junk food advertising to children. And she, a very senior former health minister uh, kind of came into the, to the room, to the committee and said, do what you want, but do not tell me to cut junk food advertising to children. It's just not going to happen. Um, which I thought was very, very telling. Jane, have you come across examples like that in terms of on the political kind of um, arena? Well, I think we have a real lack of transparency. I mean, I've been told the food industry is in Parliament all the time, and it's the ultra-processed food industry. It's not the apple growers. It's, the, mm. it, it's these large companies. They've got a lot of money. They pay lobbyists. They go themselves, and then they've got, you know, these big... Um, um, organisations like the Food and Grocery Council, like the Beverages Council, and they are promoting the same kind of stuff that they're promoting to the general public around science, um, around you know obfuscating the evidence, um, creating um, a focus on exercise, and they're doing that with the politicians. But we don't have the same transparency that, that they have in the US. The donations um, to political parties, there's huge amounts of influence, and I think the most obvious thing about this is that for example, when we ask people, you know, what do, the, what do you think about whether junk food advertising to children should be stopped? More than 90% of people say it should happen. Now, the fact that the governments won't act on that, I think, is a sign of the kind of lobbying that's going on behind closed doors that we don't know about. And it's not just happening within the Australian Parliament, it's happening at these big global meetings of the World Economic Forum, because these companies wield huge economic power. And that's what it's so hard. I mean, the World Health Organization talks about that. It's this economic power that's so hard to fight. So until this economic cost of these diseases caused by high sugar, high fat, high salt, ultra-processed foods, diets, hits, hits the treasurer and hits our economic viability, mm. that's why we won't see any action because that influence is virtually insurmountable and they're not prepared to take on big food. They're just not prepared to take on the ultra-processed food industry because mm. they make their lives a misery if they do. Mm. And if they don't, the money still comes can I, in. Can I just add to yeah, that too? Yeah, that I, I had an experience of that where um, we just released the film overseas and, and through Europe and America and it was 
incredible to see the difference in going on to big uh, broadcast national TV events in America, how I was pulled aside before we went on. And mm. I, there were things I wasn't, allowed, I wasn't allowed to say. I had to be very careful about my wording because Unilever, Kraft, these kind of companies are sponsoring the media. So they're very careful about how their messages are disseminated. I mean, you got a bit of a cheat sheet, didn't you, on what you could and couldn't say? Well, pretty much. It was just they'd ask, you know, how would you answer this question? Oh, no, we'd prefer you didn't say that. And I said, well, I'm going to say this. But, and then they said, well, we might get sued because the Sugar Association are aware that you're coming on. Like, yeah. this is how involved it all is, you know? Yeah. And I think the more, like with tobacco, things really changed when we understood industry tactics. People got savvy to it. And we need to understand that the same things are going on with the food industry. And we are not getting the best, most affordable foods that we should be having and for our children because this mighty structure, this capitalism structure is in place and it's actually killing us. And we yeah. need to think about how we're going to move forward from here. Well, Allow for, for questions, which I'm sure there are going to be many of. Um, I actually just want to cut to, should, is it overreacting to say that the, the feedback and the, the pushback from government that eventually happened with tobacco regulation, um, should we be doing the same? Should we be applying that same kind of um, force and pressure to, to sugar and to the processed food industries? Jane, you've yeah. Seen it all. Yeah, I know. I know I'm really not that old, but <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't alive in the 50s, let's put it that way. <laughs> but I, look, I think we have to learn from tobacco. And I don't, I don't think we're making a big enough effort myself. I really don't think we're working hard enough. And I, you know, I hate to say this, but as public health, we're not doing enough to fight this issue. We're not out there hard enough. I mean, it is a tough, it's a tough, it's tough to put your head above the parapet, let me say. And there's quite a few, you know, haters, as my daughter would say, out there. And I, I, sometimes I wonder who pays for them. But we've got to do it. We've got to do it for our children. We've got to do it to have a healthy, a productive community. And I think we all need to work together as industry work in concert, mm. we have to work in concert. And we have to be very clear about what we want to do and what we want to see. And you know, it's interesting, I was asking people about taxing sugary drinks, and if mm. the money goes into programs to fund um, overweight and obesity, particularly with children, 85% mm. of people support that kind of action. So it's not the public. The other thing we need to do better is to get people like you to speak to the pollies and say, we think this is a problem, we think this is an issue, we're concerned. Because politicians will listen, listen to their constituents, and at the moment, they're not hearing your voices. And I think, again, we need to funnel, as public health mm. organisations and others, you know, in the field, public funnel that concern, as well as talk, talk more about what the issues are. So, Damon, I mean, what's your take? You brought up the sugar tax um, mm. on... Um, and, and obviously there's a soft drink or soda tax as well. Mm. Uh, and there's been a lot of pushback. I don't know to what extent. It's merchant of doubting, but mm. the idea that it's taxing the poor um, or a tax for the poor. Mm. What's your take on it? Do you have a take on the, the sugar tax? Look, I'd prefer not to have another tax, but I think, um, as Jane sort of has, has alluded to, that... Look, we need something to happen drastically. It's not going to happen through education because we're going to keep getting rebutted at the top level. Mm -hmm. um, there is evidence to suggest that it does work. And Mexico is really the only sort of area that's really properly tried it. And they only did a small um, tax, really. It was, I think, about 10%. Yep. And they're already seeing a decline. Um, again, if right, that... From a very large base. That's right. <laughs> and I would only support it if absolutely there was transparency. That money was going to subsidise fresh fruits and vegetables to lower socioeconomic yep. areas. It was changing hospital food, for God's sake. It was fixing schools so that there was no no sugary drinks in school. It's just a simple mm. rule. We use that money to create a better future for our mm. kids. So is that going to happen? I don't know. Can we trust yeah. the politicians? I doubt it, but that's the only way I'd support it. Well, I think we're going to cut into questions now. Um, so I will get anyone who's got um, a question. If you would like to come forward, there's a microphone over here and over here. Um, just line up and we'll, we'll start to field the questions. While you do that, I'm going to ask one final question of both of you. Um, if you were boss of the world um, and you could do whatever you wanted tomorrow Excellent. to fix this problem... Vanilla Cokes for all. <laughs> Flavoured with stevia. Yeah, Marlboro Lights. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what, what would it be? What do you think would be a, a great solution here? And I'll, Jane, do you want to kick off? Yeah, look, I'd say there's no magic bullet as with tobacco control. It took a number of different... We learnt by doing, really, and that's what we need to do with this. But I would certainly say restrict the marketing of high-sugar, highly-processed foods, particularly to children. Let's protect them. 
um, until they're able to really understand what these products are doing. Um, I think we should raise the price of sugary drinks. We've got a very cheap substitute. The evidence is pretty good. And we can support people on low income to minimise the impact by providing them with um, you know, uh, subsidies for fresh food and things like that. And I think uh, we need to ensure that we've got decent labelling on the front of food packaging that supports people to make healthier choices because people want to make healthy choices. Mm. People are really motivated to make good decisions for themselves and their family. And at the moment, if you sing a health claim or food promoted as low in sugar or high, uh, low in fat or what, it's, you've got to be, you know, packaged foods, you've got to be, be very careful. It's very hard to know. Mm. So I think those are the kinds of things, education, empowerment, but ch changing the environment environment to make the healthy choice the easy choice and shift people in that direction. I'm going to hand the gospel over to you, Damon. Mm. What, what, what oh, are you I totally going agree to... with Jane in terms of the kids. I mean, I think <laughs> it's, that is, I mean, I, I see that as a failure on, the, on my generation and generations above me. I mean, we're supposed to impart wisdom and teach kids, give them a better life than we mm. had. They're getting fatty liver disease. They're getting type 2 diabetes. Mm. That is a failing on our behalf. We've let them down. They're going to live shorter lives than we are for the first time in history. We need to turn that around as quickly as possible. If I could wave the wand, I would love to the idea of how would we start this, this structure again? How would we set up the food mm, system again? Scratch. And I think the first thing we would do is say, you know what, the cheapest things need to be the healthiest things. They need to be the thing. If you want to have a treat, great, a sugary drink, that's the expensive item. We need yep. to flip it around because at the moment it's the other way around yep. and people can't afford to eat well and that's madness. Like mm. that's, that's our fuel. That's what makes us who we are. That's what affects our leaders in the future. Mm. That, that's ridiculous. So any way we can get to turn that around and if it is tax, hey, maybe that's the go. Yeah. But we need to flip that because it's okay. absolutely out of whack. And I might just chime in. My big thing that I always say is we've just got to learn to cook because that's probably one of the most empowering things you can do if you want to sort of sidestep big food. Mm. Like you said, 80% of our food contains sugar. The mm. food that doesn't is real food. Mm. And what do you do with real food? Mm. You can only cook it. So that's a good point, actually, because I remember um, thinking towards the end of the edit of the film, I was thinking, you know, how do we, how do, we do something about this? How do we mm. change? Because you watch something like... Um, Inconvenient Truth, which is a climate change film, and other than turning off the lights and buying a Prius, what else can you actually do? It, all, it feels so insurmountable. Yeah. But the best thing about this topic is that you get to decide what yeah. you put in your mouth. You don't have to worry about the government. You have to regulate. You can empower yourself with that knowledge. Decide what you can give your kids and to your own body. Yeah. You actually don't need to rely on anyone else. You just need to get the knowledge. Yeah. Okay, well, on that note, if I can get you all to give a round of applause to our wonderful panel. Well done, panel. We've got precisely 15 minutes for questions, which I think is perfect timing. Um, microphone number one, if you'd like to kick off. Yes. Um, I have a question in regards to, the, to big sugar, the big corporations, right? Um, I mean, isn't there a way to make money out of making healthy food? That's one thing. And the heads of those corporations, I find it difficult to believe that everyone will sit there and go, I'm just evil, let's kill people. So um, okay. what is their motivation to, to so blatantly go against the healthier option? Like what? Well, I, I'm not going to start quickly. I actually, um, we were going to put it in the film, but had discussions with someone who used to work at Coke, and his father was actually one of the founders of Coke. And he had this bit of an epiphany where he stepped out of the company. He was in, involved with marketing. And he said, I'd got to a point where we literally sat in the office all day and looked at our target numbers that we had to reach each week. And we had to hit that goal, otherwise we didn't get our bonuses or the, the, the company didn't progress. That we never once considered the impact it was having on an Aboriginal community, on the people out there. So I don't think these people are inherently evil. I just think they're caught in a system that says, we need to make money to survive and that's what's letting us down that we are choosing industry over human beings it's it's capitalism as you mentioned yeah, from it. the outset mm. your first question was what is stopping big sugar or these big food industries from promoting healthy food and making money out of healthy food yeah jane selling do you, them yeah jane what do you reckon well, I think they're concerned that they're not going to get the same profits that they get from these mm. highly processed foods. And don't forget, they're in the business of making a profit for their shareholders. That's their bottom line, and that's what drives them. They're not there to improve the health of the population. That's what governments are meant to do, and I would like to see governments step up and, you know, inf 
use their influence because I, I, I don't think we can expect industry to change. I uh, think the other thing to bear in mind as well is that one of the cheapest substances right. on the planet is sugar. Yeah. If you want to make your product particularly cheap mm -hmm. um, and also to preserve it, to preserve it. Um, yeah. is uh, just jam it full of sugar. So, um, yeah. But I think that industry is emerging. I mean, I see it yeah. from people that there is a, as people here probably, they're here for a reason. There's a revolution happening at the moment. Yeah. There are more companies making real healthy foods. People are, are, are planting foods locally. There is a shift happening and, and it's an and exciting time. Shareholders are humans, you know, so yep. I yes. think if you empower the shareholders to, to be more ethical, mm. yep. it's another way of putting yeah. pressure yep. to the system. Yeah. That's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Thank you. Crossing over to here, thank you. Uh, number two, microphone number two. Thanks. Um, Damon, first of all, great movie. Thank you. Uh, very entertaining and very informative. I watched it on a flight, a long haul flight, so extra points for. <laughs> Did you have your uh, orange juice and banana muffin? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to tell you the truth, I didn't finish my orange juice. 15 so teaspoons. <laughs> Thank you. 125 meals. Um, the, the question is uh, you've drawn a lot of parallels between the big tobacco and big sugar, and we've made huge headways with the big tobacco, so that's, that's great. Uh, one of the anti smoking campaigns, uh, well, with a big anti-smoking campaign is the whole uh, break the addiction yeah. okay, that we see. And you don't actually need to uh, get big tobacco to change anything with, uh, <laughs> with what they're doing to, to have this break the addiction campaign. But we don't really see that with big sugar. And, and there is a huge addiction there. I can't speak first yeah. person here. I've, I'm hugely addicted to it. Do you see any value in, in having some sort of break the addiction campaign and the support channels, etc., cetera, uh, when it comes to... I think you need to understand that that word is the word that the industry run from like no other word. The minute that sugar is, is conclusively proven to be addictive, it opens up a litigious can of worms for them because it's in so many food products, we're going to see law cases, that it'd just be a nightmare. So I don't think we'll ever see it proven conclusively to be uh, addictive. We all know it is. Some of us are more sensitive than others. And I think we're at the start of a very big conversation. I mean, with tobacco, we were having these chats 40 years ago and look how far we've come. I think. It's starting to be more accepted. There's more studies coming out sort of saying and alluding to the fact that it is very addictive to some people. But I think we'll look back at this time, like we do with tobacco, and, and you look at the Flintstone smoking, and we'll see, you know, uh, Beyonce endorsing Pepsi to kids. We'll see our Australian cricket team eating buckets of KFC in the middle of a childhood obesity crisis. And we'll go, gee, that was a bit weird, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, I think we'll get there. We're not there yet, mm. but these are the conversations that we need to have, and it's fantastic, you know? Thank you. And you can choose to quit sugar in the meantime. You can just do it and start cooking and, and, and you know. It's not easy, though. No, it's everywhere. The environment well, doesn't support it. Well, I can it. help with that. <laughs> did, you, did you set him up? No, okay. <laughs> I, I paid him earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, microphone number one. Hi, thanks. This has all been really interesting. Could you please help define for me what you mean by big sugar? Because there are a lot of kinds of sugar, glucose, fructose, <laughs> lactose, etc. So just yep. a definition would Diamond, be... Diamond, go for it. Well, usually things. we're referring to as added sugar here. So it's not like the milk industry are out to get us with their lactose. I think it's more that, <laughs> you know, the World Health Organization now defines an added sugar as fruit juice, as high fructose corn syrup, as agave, as rice malt syrup. There's anything that you are adding to a food is considered an added sugar. So I guess uh, when we refer to big sugar, we're probably looking at the big, like Coke, Pepsi, Kraft, Nabisco, Nestle, those kind of people that are all in bed together. Thank you. Number two. Hi, firstly, thank you for bringing this out into the public arena. I think it's really good. The more people, the better hear about sugar. Mm. My question is, have you seen any evidence that the pharmaceutical industry are also involved, um, particularly with the rise of insulin sensitivity drugs that are being prescribed um, over and above sending off people to a dietitian or nutritionist? And does it go as far back, perhaps, as instilling fear of fats into people back in the 60s that then increased statins, for instance? <laughs> Jane, I think you might be Jane. a good one for that one. <laughs> um, you know, that's a, that's a story. <laughs> well, I've actually but, been asked to make that film by quite a few people, but I don't think I'd survive it. I actually think I'd be killed making that film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, from my experience, the pharmaceutical industry is very, very interested in finding a cure for obesity with a pill. Mm -hmm. That's really what they want to find. Now, everything they've got on the market's been taken off the market because it's dangerous. 
Um, so they haven't been able to do that, but there are big bucks in this field and, you know, a huge amount of our pharmaceutical spending goes on drugs to treat overweight and obesity. So um, the pharmaceutical industry has a huge interest in here and, again, they are, as you allude to, a very powerful, um, or, you know, group um, in, in government. Jane, have you seen any kind of evidence as to the question of this already happening because of course big farmers is going to have an interest in ensuring that we don't come up with a simple solution like changing our the what we put in our gobs <laughs> um you know have you seen them influencing stepping in you know do, doing merchant of doubting type tactics well there's a lot of funding um provided and a lot of um a lot of um a lot of scientists have interests, or a lot of people in the diabetes field have uh, take funding or do consultancies for big pharmaceutical companies. That's very, very common when you declare your conflicts of interest. There'll be people who are doing research for Coca-Cola, but there'll be people who are doing research with um, these pharmaceutical companies as well. But um, not everybody, again, necessarily is aware of that. Yeah. There's no doubt they pay visits, you know, to doctors regularly and sort of push certain products. I mean, I only anecdotally, but have a um, very good friend who's a doctor who's had quite a, a strong argument with a representative of a pharmaceutical company that sort of said, look, why don't we just tell people to eat better? And her answer was, that would be terrible for business. You know? mm. So that's, it's very real. I mean, 70% of people in America are now on some kind of prescription medication. So this whole... Their education is with their, with their healthcare provider, as first and foremost. That's yeah. where people look for it. That's right. I think, we're again, what we talked about before, we're in the middle of a shift of understanding that uh, people... I mean, I'm finding it, you would find it too, that people don't know how to eat. And they write to us on the page going, what do you mean by real food? Or where do I start? Because mm. we've developed this system that says you can do whatever you want. You can take a pill for it eventually and you'll be fine. So this kind of changing the thinking that these foods are fundamental to the way you feel and think and look and your health, that's actually going to take some work. Yeah. You know? And that's a very sad thing to say, but it's true, you know? One thing that um, I think that people can do, and I don't know if you guys agree with me, is that if you do hear of a study being done, whether it's a pharmaceutical orientated or a big food orientated study, is Google it, have a look at, find the original paper, go down to the bottom or the mm. sponsors section or the declared interest se section and have a good look mm. and see who is behind it. Um, it is actually a really interesting exercise and it is worth starting those discussions, especially with any relatives that think that you're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Fathers in particular. Okay, <laughs> over here. Oh, we've got a, can you reach yeah. the microphone there? Yes. Yeah, oh, good oh. on you. What's your question? Um, are you going to make a f um, film all together and are you going to make a second that sugar film? <laughs> David, wow. big you one. put me on the spot there. Yeah. Uh, I think I need to treat my body with a little bit more respect <laughs> and give it a little bit more of a break before I do that again. But I'm certainly excited about making more things. It's certainly, I had no interest in this before I started and now I'm very passionate. So there'll be something else. So keep an eye out. Good one. <laughs> Thanks for your question. Okay, over here. Sure, this question's for Sarah. Uh, so there's a grand experiment taking place in the US right now uh, where private healthcare companies are emerging who are financially incented to improve the health of their patients. So to those companies, uh, sugary drinks, unhealthy foods uh, mean losses on the order of hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. So I work with one of these companies, uh, which is still very in its early stages. And my question to you is, um, for someone like us, what a what are the concrete first three things that we should be doing to start to actually, whether it's lobbying or what, to start to fight against uh, big food in these local areas? So the question's to, to, to me? Oh, sorry, to... Or to, to Jane. Jane. To Jane. Jane. That's oh. all right. It's very... Please, I was, you know, just... <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was happy to, <laughs> yeah, to answer look, it I for mean, you, but uh, Jane... Look, I, you know what? I love the idea of more people coming in to, with a focus on this issue because we really need people like you who are in the business of you know, you're paying for it um, and to make it better. So, look, I think, um, come and talk to me. Let's work Great. together, yeah. really. I, I think the more we work together, the more the, the, our voices are united, saying the same thing, the easier it is for governments to act and the harder it is for them not to act. Mm -hmm. So I would expect that there's gonna be a lot more companies like you out there, and I've already met quite yeah. a few, a lot of so social entrepreneurs who are really interested in making a difference, and gee, we need you. So yeah, I'd love to work with you. I'll see you afterwards. <laughs> no, just email me. <laughs> I've got no money though. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> Perhaps you do. Um, okay, over here. Thank you very much. This has um, been quite illuminating. But a proposition first, then a question. Proposition is this. I'm a biodynamic farmer, and I was at a biodynamic conference about a decade ago. Brilliant keynote speaker, whose name I've actually forgotten, New Zealand man. And he put this up. He said, sugar promotes consumption. Mm. Yep. Quite fascinating if you think about it. Next question. This is a bit scary and I could be shouted out of here, not the first time. <laughs> Bring it on. But <laughs> is what's happening with this sugar potentially an exercise in eugenics? Not through choice, wow. but what it is. It's a frightening question. Wow, oh, you're, you're a uh, great person to have at a festival of dangerous ideas. Yeah, and I am going to, I am just going to flag, unfortunately, to the two people, the people still at the microphones, we don't have time for any further questions. So that will have to be the last question. So let's That's see if we can um, get particularly contentious. Oh. Well, we kind of allude to it very loosely in the film as, you know, are we in some way being controlled by a substance that a absolutely activates reward centres in our brain and affects the way we perceive the world? And if we're having 40 teaspoons of it a day, does that actually affect the way we live and exist? So, I mean, that's as far as I'm going to stretch it, that maybe we're all just a nation of drug addicts. And we are, I think that's what you're alluding to, and we rely on pharmaceutical medication, perhaps. So, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to help you flesh out your argument here. Mm. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess the, the bigger picture <laughs> is, are we all partaking to our, you know, to our knowledge or not um, in a huge experiment, much like the one you did um, over the course of 60 days. But um, I think that's the question wow. that people and probably... And so it'll be made into a film and shown to other planets as a giant movie. <laughs> that's right. I mean, it's I a really interesting, it. it's an interesting <laughs> way to view it, though, is to stand yeah. back and go, yeah. what the hell is going on here? This Fantastic. is happening, this is happening. And okay. what do you know? We're all getting fat and we've got children that are sick yep. and this is happening at the same rate as, mm. you know, our well, consumption will, of these kinds of foods. Well, I will add to that, that, that. I mean, it does sometimes... It, it does appear to be madness, the fact that, you know, even the fact that we're promoting excess carbohydrate intake when type 2 diabetes is a disease of carbohydrate metabolism. And I actually... Um, we didn't put it in the film, but spoke to a woman called Louise Light who is a... Her job was to develop the first ever food pyramid in America. And she took a year with a team of nutritionists. They went away, studied all the research and came back and sort of said, you know, pretty much fruit and vegetables, sugar at a minimum. And for a woman, no more than one sandwich a day, if you're, or if you're active, and handed it into the USDA, who of course represent mm. the industry. And that sort of one little bit of whole grain down the bottom turned into seven to 11 serves that they were recommended. And she even said that anything that was refined carbohydrate, um, uh, croissants, donuts. donuts, white bread, they should be up with sugar in the apex. Mm. But then the industry included them in the seven to 11 yeah. servings. So she said to them, if you do this, you will see an outbreak of type two diabetes and obesity. Yeah. No doubt about it. And if you it. look at the FDA's food pyramid, when they've got the little illustrations, they've got the little piece of bread and then they've got a donut That's and then right. they've got a piece of cake and That's it's it. like it's as blatant as that. Yep, so it's hard not to hmm. ask the big dangerous questions when you hear that. Do you have a final thought there, Jane? Well, I think, um, you know, these kinds of habits and epidemics, they get worse over time and if a mother is overweight or obese and, and has a baby, you know, you can pass this on. So mm -hmm. we have... You know, we have got a, a ship that's sailing through, a big ship, and we need to slow this ship down before we can turn it around. So, it, it, you know, it's going to take some time. Mm. We are fighting a really big mm. foe. Um, it is really impacting on us as a society, mm. and I think we just need to think about how can we do better. Yep. And I might just close with a quote that I always like to refer to in this kind of arena. Schopenhauer once said that I think there's three phases of truth, and one is... Um, of doubt and, and questioning. The next is violent opposition and the next is acceptance of, of course, it's self-evident. And I think mm. I'm hoping that we can turn the ship around and face, face things and accept it and um, see it all self-evident before we hit the iceberg, just to continue the analogy there. <laughs> um, thank you very much and I hope you all enjoy the rest of your afternoon.